wherever you are in your life, God did not bring you here to leave you. God has not brought you to where you are on your journey to leave you. But I just want to encourage somebody this morning to let you know that God knows exactly where you are. And God has a great plan and purpose for your life. And he wants to see you experience victory. God did not bring Joshua through all of the ups and downs of, of the journey to leave him at a place where he would be without victory. But all 31 kings would be defeated and would be destroyed because God is a God of victory. But the, there's something else that's true as well, is that God's victory in our life does not always happen the way we think it should. <laughs> like his battle plan and our battle plan... It's very, very different. I think, man, it's time to take the land. Where's the guns? Where's the bombs? You know what? Let's do this thing, you know? And what we're going to find in the scripture is that God's way of how we move forward in our lives, many times it's not our world's way. It's not our way. It's not culture's way of what that looks like. So let's just begin in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, and, and, and we'll, we'll read the scripture, and then we'll pull out some points, some ideas from the, from the word of God. Uh, it says in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 5, and this should be in your message notes, a little white sheet you received. Also, um, also, it should be on the screen as well. I would love for you to follow along. It says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So God's people had passed over and God had done a miracle in the Jordan. And everybody knew about it. The assumption in this passage is that the Israelites didn't realize how famous the miracle of what God had done was. That the enemy already knew what was happening and didn't just know the enemy was terrified. And I think that's a picture of our lives as well, that I think the victory that God wants to give us in our lives, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of our lives, which is Satan himself, he's terrified of the victory that God has in your future. He knows the power of your God. See, it wasn't just who Joshua was, it was the God that Joshua served. And you may look at your life and you say, well, I don't really have everything together and I don't know if God is really... You know, I don't know if I really am set up for victory. I want you to know your victory is not determined by who you are, but it's all about who your God is. And the, and the enemy of your soul, he's terrified right now that you're hearing this. He's terrified that you're opening the word of God and studying because here's what he knows. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Like Satan has no power and no authority over your life if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. If you've been filled with his spirit, if you've been changed by his power, Satan has absolutely no control over your life. You know, some people, they, they want to give all kinds of credit and glory to the devil and see like, you know, devils behind every doorway and all this stuff. You know what? Um, and, and as a kid, that used to freak me out a lot. I, I, my mother worked at the church that I grew up in and and uh, we would go and, and we would have to be there kind of odd, random times when we weren't having church services. And how many knows a church in the dark is the scariest place on planet Earth? <laughs> and I remember just seeing, I've, I've seen all kinds of things, you know, in, in the church. At dark. It's a big old church, you know, and man, I would see, what is that? You know, something we'd hear sound, you know, I think, that was a demon, you know, going across the front of the building. <laughs> But a lot of people, that's kind of how they live their lives. It's like all this stuff all the time. You know, everything's so spirit. Everything is all these things. You know what? The, 
there is so much more power in you than, than, than any power that's in this world. That there's nothing that the devil can do in your life that has any power over you. And he knows that God has brought you to this place for you to possess everything he promised. So what he wants to do, he wants to sabotage your life before it even gets started. Like he specializes in causing us to self-sabotage. Because he knows that if, if, if we keep moving forward, man, there's no power. So, so he wants you to be against you. He wants you to look in the mirror every morning and say, I can't do this. My life's terrible. I'm such a failure. I just might as well quit. And he says, yes. Because he knows if you wake up, even despite you being tired, despite things going on in your life, despite everything not being perfect, if you can walk in and then you say, okay, God, would you give me strength today? Would you help me to face this situation that I'm facing today? Then the power of God moves into your workplace and the power of God moves into your family. And he has no strength and no power over that. But if he can get you to self-sabotage, then he can keep you from the victory in your life. That's the same thing he wants to do in the church. He wants to get all of us mad at one another, right? That's like his goal. Like if he can get you mad at you and her mad at him and him mad at her. If we can keep us fighting, then he can self-sabotage the impact that God wants to do in our lives because there's nothing that can stop the church of the living God if we'll keep moving forward, if we'll keep trusting, if we'll keep reaching out, if we'll keep loving God, if we'll keep loving people, if we'll keep loving God's word. There's nothing that cannot be done. There's no impact that, that's, too, that's too great for the power of God moving through us. And that's what we see in this passage. We see that in the, the enemy is terrified and afraid. And, and uh, verse 2, let's, 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 let's read on. But before we do, I want to I share something before we read on. You're, we're, about to, we're about to see something in the scripture that, that, that's kind of uncommon, that maybe not something that you would like readily imagine. This is how God's going to bring victory in our world. Because God, here's what God says. It says, at that time, so right at the time, they're about to experience victory. They're about to go in and possess the land. The Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Time out. Time out. I love the knives part. <laughs> I'm sure Joshua's like, yes, Lord, speak to me. Make flint knives. Okay, we're, we're going to make those knives and we're going to make a, We're going to stab the enemy, right, with the knives. And circumcise the children. And do what, God? I did not hear you correctly. This is not from you. Could you imagine him having to tell that to all of the, all of the men, you know, that was part of this, you know, this... You know, historians believe that there were like two, over two million Israelites that crossed over the Jordan River. So, I mean, like looking at like, million, like a million men in the eyes and be like, hey guys, uh, just so you know, God spoke to me today. Something about a knife. And they're like, yes, I love knives. Um, for who? Um, for you. The knife is for you. For where? For there. That's where the knife is for. <laughs> Circumcision was, was, a, um, was a something that God gave back in Genesis chapter 17 as a sign as a token to Abraham of his promise with his people. See, God promised Abraham, even though he had no sons, that he was going to be the father of many nations and that he was going to possess this promised land. And God says, just so that you know that I'm going to be faithful to my promise, I want to enter a covenant with you and I'm going to give you a, a token. And I'm sure Abraham's like, awesome, I love tokens. These are great. You know, what are you going to give me, God? Like a button, a pin, a sash. I love those. Like, that's great, a token. And then God tells him, no, I want you to... 
circumcise yourself and your sons and your, your uh, that, that's the token. You know, it's like, ooh, God, I don't like that, you know. But what we're, what we're going to find in the scripture, and here's your first note, here's your first point, is that, that who we are is much more important than what we do. They were about to take the land. They were about to have victory. But God was trying to give them a picture. Hey, before the victory, you would think militarily God would be saying, okay, start getting your fighting ready. Get your skills ready. Get somebody ready to learn how to fight. But no, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to renew the covenant that you have with me. Because here's what God understood. They had talent. They had the Lord on their side. They had the promise of God on their side. And they were going to be victorious. But the question is, is could they sustain the victory that God was going to give them? It's a mistake. It's always a mistake to decide what you're going to do with your life before you ever decide who you're going to be. And here's how it works. We're, we're kind of over here. This is who I am. And then over here is kind of who I want to be, who I want to become. The, maybe the career that I want to have, the people that I want to know, the impact that I want to make with my life, what, what I want to do, the big things. Man, whenever it's all said and done, this is what I want to become. And this is who we are. And what God is trying to tell the people, hey, you're going to have victory. Yes, you're going to become something because I put great things in you. But the question is not who are you going to become. The question, first of all, is who are you going to be? Like, what kind of person are you going to be? Like, what, what kind of husband are you going to be? What kind of a follower of Jesus Christ are you going to be? What type of a mom are you going to What type of a person are you going to be? Because what I found is that there's really never any pressure about the being. The pressure is all on the doing. And you're never going to walk into work on tomorrow, mor- tomorrow morning and have this pressure to be a good, you know, to, to, to be the leader of a great family, you know? The, the pressure when you walk into work is probably going to be to be the leader of a great company and to, to, to make more profits and to be able to um, you know, make costs go down and make morale go up and all these things. And I mean, if we do this, then all these other things in our life are going to go great. And that's where the pressure in our life is all about. That's where whenever you're in college, that's the conversation. What major are you going to have? Who, you know, what are you going to do? Who are you going to know? Are you going to go to the right job fair so that you can connect with the right company so that you can be, so that you can be become this great thing that you want to become but what God is trying to tell us is who we are like who we are on the inside who we are when nobody else is looking is much more important than what we do I found this the same thing. I was a youth pastor for 12 years before moving here to plant this church. And one of the things I would counsel college students and high school students time after time is whenever in regard to marriage, in regard to relationship, it's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. I've been around a lot of marriages and a lot of families and a lot of friends over the last 13 years of ministry sit in a lot of rooms with a lot of people crying about relationships and these type of things. And I've never seen a husband change a wife. And I've never seen a wife truly change her husband. But I have seen people change, allow God to change them. And whenever they change who they are, whenever they allow God to change them from the inside out, then what they've always wanted, what they've always dreamed of, God begins to allow it to come out of not who they, what they want, it's, it's who they are. 
So God says, hey, children of Israel, I know you're going, you want to have victory. There's 31 kings. You want to possess this land. You want to have all these things you've always dreamed of. He said, but don't be so fast. You've got to understand the most important thing is who you are with me. The most important thing is your relationship with me. Like, do you really love me or do you just want me to do good stuff for you? Do you really love me? Because the doing comes out of the being every single time. So circumcise the people. What? God circumcise the people? What, what in the world do you want me to do that for? I don't understand why in the world would you want me to do that? And God says, no, I want these people to understand something. That, that who they, I want them to understand who they are before they ever try to possess something in their life. I want them to know that they're in a covenant with me. That they're a child, not of just Sally and Joe and all these. No, they're a child of God. And they're not going to possess the land in their own power. They're going to possess the land because they're in a covenant with me. So he begins to remind them of the covenant. I want to read on. So he reminds them of the covenant. And it says uh, in verse 3, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbreth Haroth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt... All the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out from Egypt, perished because they did not obey. If you're taking extra notes today or have your Bible, underline that. They did not obey. The voice of the Lord and the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flung with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place. And Joshua circumcised, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. I bet they did. All the men said, Jesus. And the Lord said to Joshua. <laughs> I think the Bible's funny when I read it. I love, the... <laughs> I love this. Today I have rolled away the reproach of, Israel, of Egypt from you. And the name of that place is called Gilgal, which literally means to roll away to this day. Here's what God was trying to teach them about the people they needed to become. They were going to possess the promise. So here's this. We need to be obedient even when it hurts. Be obedient even when it hurts. I found it in my own family that uh, my kids do not have any trouble obeying me the things that they like. Hey, son, get out of your seat. We're at Brewster's for ice cream, you know? Yeah, I love it. But it's the things that they don't understand. It's the things that I, as a parent, have to make a decision about what's best for them, even though they don't understand that it's not. They would rather hit ice cream all night long instead of going to bed or still... They, they don't understand that I'm coming from a different perspective. And that's where real obedience happens. And the question that I want to ask you today, what area of your life are you struggling to obey God? See, God's not interested in a 99% commitment to Him. Either Jesus is Lord of all in our lives, or He's not Lord at all. He says, I want to ask you, are, do you have anything in your life that you're, you're just saying, okay, God, you can have every other area of my life, but not this one. Not the area of forgiving someone that's wronged me. That's, that's, that's kind of mine. You know, they owe me. 
They wronged me, God. Remember that. And God says, it doesn't matter. I told you that the best thing for you is for you to say, forgive them. God, I don't understand. It's, it's, it's not fun. It's not easy. And that's where God says, that's where I want you to become that kind of person. See, God doesn't want us to just be obedient so that we can, um, because he's mad at us or angry about us or wants to keep good things from us. As a matter of fact, God sees our lives from a completely different perspective. And everything that's sin or everything that's wrong in our life, it's not just wrong because God says it's wrong per se, but it's wrong because God knows it's going to hurt our lives. Because it's something that's not his best for us. And God says, I do not want you living in any way, shape, form, or fashion that's not best for you. I want you to be obedient to me. And there's a lot of things that I've found that doesn't make sense in the moment. But whenever you take that step of faith, whenever you trust God to say, okay, it doesn't make sense why you asked me to do this. But whenever I do it, it's like the revelation comes. It's like, I totally get it now. I to- that totally makes sense whenever you told me to do that. Maybe it's giving your time. God, I don't have enough time. God says, I want you to give, I want you to give of your resources, give of your treasure, give, give 10% of what you have. And like, God, you don't understand. You can't, apparently you cannot do math whenever you look at my bank account, right? Like it doesn't make sense, God. Like I don't, I don't get it. But what, what you find is any area you begin to put God first in, you begin to al- allow God to take over that area of your life. And that's what he was trying to tell them. He was trying to tell them, hey, guys, even whenever you obey me when it doesn't hurt, whenever it hurts, you're going to find that through that, you're going to walk from this moment realizing that you are in covenant with me. You're going to realize that everything's going to be all right whenever you give me your future. Whenever you say, God, you really do have my life 100%. Like, my first response is not just going to be, well, whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. No, everything in my life, I'm going to roll by whatever you say is best. And it doesn't really make sense. It feels weird to do that. I'm my own person. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. But God says, no, no, no. If, if, if you'll just trust me and be obedient, and even whenever it hurts, I'll bless you. Here's the second thing I want to bring out from this passage is, that obedience starts at home. Obedience starts at home. One of the reasons why this was even happened, having to happen, this circumcision, this cutting away, this very harmful, this very hurtful thing, if you will, this mark of obedience, mark of sacrifice, was happened to ha- having to happen to them is because the previous generation hadn't done their job. They had not done what they were supposed to do with their own kids and their own family and their own homes. And just... To take a moment to say this, is that our obedience to God, the question is, who are you when no one else is looking? Who are you around your kids? Who are you around your family? But God says, that's what I'm trying to work on with you. Obedience starts at home. I don't want my kids to ever have to pay a price that I was unwilling to pay. I don't want them to have to hurt because I wasn't willing to step up and be obedient to God even whenever it hurt me along the way. But God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to lead my family and my friends and the people you put around my sphere of influence. I'm going to be a leader with them and what it means to follow after Jesus Christ, what it means to follow God with all my heart. You know, and we get this way sometimes as believers in the church. We, I believe another aspect of this, it's not just it starts in our home with our families. I believe it starts with our own lives. It's so easy today, isn't it, with Facebook and all the things to... Man, we can, 
We can just rail on everybody who does not see things exactly the way we do. And, man, we just can kind of easily settle into this reality of look how bad the world is and look how terrible everybody is. And it's just all going to hell in a handbasket. And these people, and when we get political about it and we get on all these different ideas about it. And the real question is this. Have you dealt with your own sin? Like, are you being obedient in your own life before you're pointing a finger at everybody else? The book of 1 Corinthians says it's not even the church's job to judge everybody else on the outside of the church. Like, it's not my job to tell anybody who's not a believer in Christ how they should live their life. The, 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 what my responsibility is to look at in the mirror and look at God and say, God, make me into the person you want me to be. Make my family into the people you want us to be. And through that example, other people around us will be so drawn to Jesus Christ, they'll say, hey, 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 can you tell me about your God? Like, what church do you, like, what is that? I don't, I've never seen that before, you know? It starts at home. It starts where we are. It starts with us. Let's not be a place of guilt, shame, condemnation, anger at everybody else. No, let this be a place where we say, God, change me from the inside out. If he's going to change a nation, he's got to change us from the inside out. God, make me an obedient person, obedient to everything you've called me to do. That's what God wants us to do in our lives. So I want to read on. It says, while the people um, of Israel were, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal... They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. In the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So they begin to eat the fruit of the land. They take the Passover. It's kind of an interesting thing. See, the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Whenever you read, you say, well, what does that mean? Are we supposed to be circumcised too? Like, did, did, did last week you brought stones. Are you going to sharpen those stones this week for all the dudes in the house? Well, well, no. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that the circum- we are, as Christians today, we are a picture of that Old Testament circumcision. When we come to Jesus, He changes us. He cuts away our flesh. He makes us a brand new person and even connects it with being baptized. He says, having been baptized, He says, you're being baptized. That's a picture of God washing away those sins. You're going down and like a dead person in a burial and you're rising to new life in Jesus Christ. He's saying it's a brand new life. You're a brand new person. And, and I love how the Old Testament is just a picture of that. And then so, so they're circumcised and then they celebrate the Passover. And whenever we take communion together, we, most of the way as a family, as a church, we do it on our first Wednesday services. The first Wednesday of every month we gather here and we take communion together. We worship. The kids have awesome things for, for them. And, and, and we just have kind of a, just a family night in here. And when we take communion, we're remembering. It's, it's like the Passover. We're remembering what God God had done. So the New Testament that we have in Jesus is so much a better picture. It's so much a better covenant that we have, but, but we still have these Old Testament pictures. So when you're reading your Bible, I want you to understand your Bible is a story about Jesus Christ. Every single, every single page and every single chapter is all about Jesus and the fulfillment that we have in him. That's what this book is all about. And it says um, in verse, in verse uh, 13, I love this. Verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man, a man was standing before him, which his sword was drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us 
Or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. That's the funniest answer to me ever. Whenever you go to lunch after church today and they ask you, do you want this for here or to go? Just say, no. <laughs> you want this? You want, you, want, you want to take this home or not? No. <laughs> it's like not even an answer, you know? Joshua walks up, he sees this commander, and he's got this sword drawn. I'm sure his attention is just, man, 100%. What in the world is happening? And he says, hey, man, are you for us or are you against us? You know, Joshua's trying to figure out what to do. And this man says, no. He says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Wow. Face to face. The army, the commander of the army of the Lord what does Joshua do? He says he fell down on his face to the earth and he worshipped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. Man, this is, had to be the biggest day of Joshua's life. Where he has this, he has this encounter with God I believe that it's an encounter with Jesus Christ because he's commander of the army of the Lord. Many times we're like, no, 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 that's not Jesus. You know, he's got like the white robe, you know, and the you know, milky skin, you know, and the, you know, blonde, you know, flowing hair in the wind. No, that's, no, no, no. The Bible actually says that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. I, I think I, I put it on the screen. It's not in your notes, but I just started thinking, man, we, we miss this so many times whenever uh, we, we begin to look at who Jesus, who Jesus is. We, we say, oh, I don't know. I couldn't really follow him, especially guys. Like, man, I can't really follow that. You know, he's not really a dude's dude. I don't really understand it, which he 100% was. He was a carpenter. He, he, was, he was a blue-collar man's man. And um, but even with all that, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, see if this rings a bell. Whenever, okay, so the guy's got a sword drawn in his hand. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. This is Revelation 19, a picture of Jesus. It said, Then I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And right, with righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many diadems. And there was a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and by a name which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike out, strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he was, there was a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So in the book of Revelation, in the end, we get a true picture of the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. He, I want you to know that whenever Jesus went to the cross, whenever he came to this earth as a meek, humble man, where he submitted himself to the cross, I want you to know that they did not nail him to the cross. Those nails did not hold him there. He chose to humble himself because he is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords and he is full of might, full of power. He could have called down thousands of angels to say, boom, kill them all, like be done with it. No, but he was on the cross because he loved you. And because he loved me. And it, Joshua's coming face to face with the captain, with Jesus, the, arm, the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. And, and, and Joshua begins to ask the question that we all ask of God. Hey God, you for me? 
You with me, God? Are you here? And God gives Joshua the answer I believe he gives to all of us as well. God, are you for me or are you against me? And God would say, no. <laughs> Frustrating, right? But he says, as the commander of the army of the Lord, now have I come. In other words, he said, really, Joshua, it's not about is God on your side as much as it is as you, are you on God's side. And God's for us and God loves us. And I feel like in kind of Christianity today, we talk about that a lot. And I think we should because there's been a lot of, um, I believe, the wrong picture of who God is with anger and guilt and shame and condemnation and just miss the point. But at the same time, you have to understand that God is not just for you. God is, and here's the point, God is for God. And if he was for anything else, he wouldn't be God. Because he is the biggest, the greatest. His glory is bigger than anything else. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation says in heaven, his, the glory of God will be the sun. So you, you think about the light, you think about the shining, you think about the warmth, you think about all the things that when you walk out into the sun, it's been really hot lately, right? He says, that's how my glory is going to be in heaven. Like, it's just going to be the light. It's going to be the warmth. It's going to be everything. God says, my glory is so great. And God says, really, I'm for God. Like, God, I'm, 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 the question is not, are, am I for you? The question is, are you with me? Like, are you walking with me? And this, this is the theme of this whole, whole chapter. God says, yes, I love you. Yes, I called you. Yes, you're going to have victory. But you've got to get something right, Joshua. It's going to hurt sometimes, but I want you to know if you will be willing to be obedient to me, even when you don't understand it, if you'll live a life that's not like the world, that's not like everybody else around you, but you'll trust me first and foremost. He said, I will, the, the battle that you go into, you're not going to go into it alone because you're stepping into covenant with that captain of the army of God. God is with us. God is for us. But it's more important, are we with God? Are we for Him? While um, President Lincoln was, um, was signing the Emancipation Proclamation, um, there were a lot of questions and concerns around it. And one of my favorite quotes by Abraham Lincoln is this. It says, Sir, he was, people were saying, well, what side is God's on? God on? He said, Sir, my concern, this is what Abraham Lincoln said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side my greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. He said, that's the most important thing for me. I just want to challenge somebody this morning, as we leave, as we go this week. That'd be a great thing to pray throughout the week. God, would you, would you help me? If there's anything that's keeping me off of your side this week, God, I don't want to mess with it. I want to be on your side I want to experience your glory. I want to be satisfied with not everything being about me. Well, here's what I know. I, I think all the problems in my life stem from me wanting the world to be about me. <laughs> you know? Whenever I drive down the road, you know, and the person in, in the left lane is not going fast enough. I'm like, man, 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 get out of my way. What is it? Because, man, this world's about me. This highway's about me. I got places to go and people to see. This is all about me. You know, get out of my way. You know, whenever, whenever my world is all about me, when my marriage is all about me, and, man, and it is a lot of times I can say, babe, I was so stupid today. Please forgive me. I think this is all about me. 
When this church is all about me, when my work is all about me, when my family's all about me, when my driving's all about me, when everything's, when my home, my house, my cars, my, my money, my everything is all about me, that's pretty much every frustration in my life, right? But what happens whenever you begin to say, okay, God, I'm not the center of this universe. You are. So this marriage is not about me, it's about you. This money in my pocket, it's not even about me. Or not. It's about you. So however much or little I have, it's really about you. God, this house that you've given me, it's, it's not about me. It's about you. This time you've given me, this job you've given me. And then you begin to say, God, this is all about you. This is not about me. And you put God, the one who has all the glory, the one who has all the might, the one who has the armies. You, you put him first and foremost. Everything begins to change in our lives. Because here's the next truth is that we are invited Yes, God is for God, but we're invited to be part of the story. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to destroy all the Canaanites myself. No, he says, I want you to come along with me. I want to invite you to be part of this story. I want you to follow me. And as we walk together, as we fight together, as I help you overcome every single battle that you're going to fight with me together, you're invited to be part of a grand story. God was not saying, I've come to be part of your story, Joshua. God comes and says, hey, I want to invite you to, be, to play a significant role in my story. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Him. God is for God, and I'm thankful He is. Because it lets me say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. So Joshua makes the right decision. He just bows down and worships. And that's why another thing, reason I think he's Jesus, because every angel that you see in the Bible, when they're worshipped, they're like, no, 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 I'm an angel, I'm not God, don't worship. But, but man, Joshua bows down in, in, in this picture, I believe, of God, this picture of Jesus, he receives it. You know what, that's what the response for today should be. God, I just want to worship you. God, I want to recommit my life fresh and anew to say I'm yours 100%. Because I want to leave you with this last quote, and here it is. It's because God takes full responsibility for the life that is wholly devoted to Him. God takes full responsibility for the life that's devoted to Him. <laughs> What's the deal, God? I don't understand this obedience when it hurt. I don't understand all these things. But what Joshua discovered is whenever I chose to give my life fully to God, man, God took full responsibility and I entered a covenant with him and it changed me. And I'm going to fast forward in the book of Joshua about 100, to a point where he's about 110 years old. And it's in your notes. So this is many, many years after this moment when Joshua's life where he really surrenders his life to God. And I believe it is the pivotal moment in Joshua's entire life. He's speaking to the people in his old age before he dies. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your, that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. Watch this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Joshua said that at 110 years old. I'm impressed. What was that? He never had a regret. Because that moment, whenever he surrendered his life to God, it was still defining his life in the future. And he was still saying, you know what? God's still fighting with us. God's still for us. He says, for me and my house, you guys can do whatever you want to do. If you want to go be like the gods of this world, if you want to go follow the gods of you know, Egypt and across the, just more power to you. He said, but you know what? I made a decision a long time ago. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. What decision are you going to make today? You're going to choose to surrender your will to his? Are you going to go in the battle all by yourself? Are you going to say, God, I need your help. If I'm going to take the land, I need to be obedient to you and follow you. If you could bow your head, I want to pray for us today. We're going to sing one more song and just respond to God. Jesus, thank you so much for your power, your strength, your might in our lives, Lord. Lord, I'm so fast to say, just let's fight the battle. And I'm very slow to say, okay, let's get in right standing with you. Let's get obedient. God, I don't want to just be somebody. I don't want to just do a bunch of things. I want you to make me into the person you want me to be. Make me. Change me. Rearrange my priorities, God. Like there's no room of my life that you don't have the key to. I give it to you today. Search my heart. Change me.